Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, we don't need an earthly priest. That's why we don't have a priest here, because we have a priest here. A priest is a go-between to connect God and man. And when Jesus came, there is no longer a need for priests on the earth because we have one priest. There is one mediator between God and man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Our high priest is touched. Our high priest, Jesus, his heart is touched by your life, in your circumstances, in what you go through. He is not a far-off God. He is not an untouchable God. He's not an unapproachable God. But He is a God that is here. He is a God that is close. And He is a God that cares. He's a God that loves you and wants to hear from you. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now listen to this that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to say that last part again. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace for these two reasons. That we may obtain mercy. Somebody say obtain mercy. And find grace. Somebody say find grace. To help in the time of need. That's the two things. To obtain mercy and also to find grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I know my inability better than anybody else here. I know better than anyone here that I do not know how to minister the Word, that I do not know how to create a sermon. You and I are the only ones that know just how dependent I am in order to do anything that I do. I'm asking for you to fill me afresh and to do again what you have always been so faithful to do. 
help me minister your heart to the heart of the people and help me to get out of the way that when we leave here today that no one has seen me but everyone has seen Jesus and I thank you for it in your name amen amen In this passage, the writer of Hebrews says to go to God to get mercy and to go to God to get grace. To get, the, yeah, twofold. To get those, you even wore your mercy shirt. How appropriate. He said to get mercy and to get grace, to get these two different things. And we talk a lot about grace and a lot about mercy. You hear those terms. You, you hear grace now more than ever in recent years as we've experienced what many call a grace revolution and people realizing just how radical the grace of God is and people trying to figure out what is all this talk about grace. And so we hear the term grace a lot and we hear the term mercy a lot. But I think that many of us might not know the difference between grace and mercy and that these are two very different things extremely connected, an extreme partnership between grace and mercy, but two very different things. Everybody this morning keeps talking about there's something really special today. There's just a, a feeling and an expectancy and an, an anticipation that there's something unique about this service today. And they're right, and I've been feeling it too. I've been feeling it for, uh, well, last night till this morning specifically, but even earlier in the week. I guess what I'm going to bring today, I guess you could call it a sermon, but really we're going to go to Bible school today. And so I hope that we have students of the Word here. Uh, you know, I, I love to get excited but I hope we have people that are here that are hungry for the information of the Word and the meat of the Word, to actually understand the Word of God. And so we're going to go to class today. We're, we'll praise the Lord. You got, you got one. <laughs> Maybe we should do this all the time. We are going to go to Bible school today. Are you ready? Earlier this week, I was in real, really Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, I was in prayer about what the Lord was saying. I, I always pray this. I always pray, God, what are you saying to the world right now? God, what are you saying to your church right now? God, what are you saying to the River Worship Center right now? God, what are you saying to my family and household right now? God, what are you saying to me? Let me run through them again. I see folks writing. 
Maybe you're wanting to get these. This is a good thing to pray. How many of you know that God is always speaking? God is always speaking. God is saying things to, to the earth, to governments, to nations, and God is speaking to us. Uh, and so those are, those are the brackets. God, what are you saying to the world? God, what are you saying to your church or your body might be more appropriate? A church is really a local assembly. God, what are you saying to your body? God, what are you saying to my church, the River Worship Center, wherever wherever you attend? What are you saying to my church, my local assembly of believers? God, what are you saying to my family and household? And God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And it works out real convenient because whatever God is saying to you happens to touch. Come on, somebody. Happens to touch all the rest. And so that's a good thing to pray. If you ever ask God to speak to you, if you ever ask God, what are you saying? Don't ask him that question and then get real quiet and wait. Don't do that. That's not how you're going to hear him. That's not how you're going to hear him. Pray and ask him and then continue with your regular Bible reading and go through your regular life and go to church and throughout conversations with people throughout what's happening uh, in the world and throughout what you hear at church, you will begin to pick up, if you're paying attention, you will begin to pick up on a collective picture. God speaking, I'm not saying he can't talk right into your ear. Sometimes he does, especially with the gifts of the Spirit. God might just download a word on the spot. But that's not what we go after to hear the voice of God in our life. To hear the voice of God in our life, we are not listening for voices in the air. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. We pray and seek God, and then we hear God. I did a series one time, How to Hear the Voice of God. We should probably do that again. But anyway, that's, that's free today. That's a little extra one today. So I was praying earlier this week, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? And then I went on with my Bible reading. Somewhere in that, my heart began to burn these two words, grace and mercy, specifically this phrase, the difference between grace and mercy, the difference between grace and mercy, the difference. I just kept hearing this. I just kept hearing this. And so nothing that I was reading in the Bible had a whole lot to do with that. And I just kind of, you know, just tucked it away on a shelf somewhere and then went on about my day. And then on Wednesday night, when we laid down to go to sleep, I realized that a particular ministry, their Wednesday night service had probably just ended, and I pulled up the video. I pulled up the video to watch. Of all the subjects in the world that somebody could have been talking about, the preacher said, I want to talk about the difference between grace and mercy. Now, if he had said, you know, if I had heard, you know, that I was supposed to preach about Jesus, and then he would have said, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus. Uh, that might not have been too strange of a coincidence. Come on. a lot. Of, you know, Christians are liars, you know. Church people lie. Church, you know, I was thinking about that, and they talked about exactly that. You know, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. That was so general and so vague. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? But anyway, 
when I hear the word inside of me, the difference between grace and how many times in your in your whole church life have you heard, heard a sermon that was about the difference between grace and mercy? I hear a whole bunch of nevers. So on Wednesday morning, I hear the difference between grace and mercy. And that night, this guy says, I'm going to talk about the difference between grace and mercy. And I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, yep, that's, that's what, we, what we want to talk about. And so I want to talk to you about the difference between grace and mercy. We're going to start with mercy. Somebody shout mercy. 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 Webster's would define it like this. Compassion. You could stop there. You could stop there. Compassion or forbearance. Forbearance. To forbear something. Shown especially to an offender. Compassion, so this is not, mercy is not so much compassion for somebody, for a victim, you know. We might have compassion for a, a victim that's gone through something. But that would be more just the raw version of compassion. It wouldn't so much, the word mercy is not what would fit there. Because the one who is sick, they didn't do anything wrong. So we might show them compassion, but they don't really need mercy. Mercy is a compassion or a forbearance shown especially to an offender. To an offender. If somebody has done something wrong, they are not the victim. They are the perpetrator. They are the criminal. They are guilty. If we show compassion to the guilty, and maybe, they, maybe they're not just an offender, maybe they're an offender to us. They may have wronged us. They may have stolen from us. They may have hurt us. They may have hurt our children. They have wronged us. When you show that one compassion and you forbear punishment, I'm not going to punish you. You did this, and I should punish you. You should get what's coming to you, rightfully. It would be just recompense. You did this, so you should pay for it. If I show that one compassion, if I withhold punishment from that one, it's called mercy. Mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is to withhold deserved punishment. Mercy is the withholding of deserved. Deserved. Somebody say deserved. Somebody point your finger this way, not this way, point it at your, I'll point mine at me, you point yours and say, <laughs> deserved. Mercy is the withholding That's great. 
this blessing anybody yet? Mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. Mercy is when someone should be punished, but the offended decides, I won't punish them. I am not going to make them pay for what they did. I am not going to give retribution for what they did against me. They worked against me. They attacked me. They, they, uh, they rejected me. They hurt me. They destroyed my cause. I'm not going to punish them. I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have mercy. We have a major, major, huge, widespread problem in Christianity, in the church. In that many who claim to be believers, many who call themselves Christians, many church members, if the truth be told, I'm not talking about what they say out of their mouth, although you can pick up on it. They don't believe that they deserve punishment. Teaching real good. Teaching real good. There are many Christians that their that their inside heart attitude, that their default position in programming is not. I deserve to not exist. Their default setting is not, if God did the right thing, he would take me out. Their default position isn't, I do not deserve to be doing as well as I am. I do not deserve to have nice clothes. I don't deserve Come on. They don't believe that they are undeserving of punishment. Even though they might not say it, they think that they are basically good. They would say that their righteousness is not their own. But they act like they did something for it. Because they're hating on people that are doing the same things that they were just doing. But now they're saved. They don't believe truly that their salvation is completely of Jesus. They feel a little bit better about themselves because they're cleaned up now. It's a problem. They think they're basically good, and they think that it's the right thing to do that God would give them a pass. 
well, God, I, God, why wouldn't you help me to do this? God, I go to church. God, I pay my tithe. God, I don't go over there anymore. God, this is called entitlement. And it is such the extreme opposite of real biblical orthodox Christianity. The Christian, let me say the born again convert, does not believe they deserve any of what they have, and they are super humbled that they're even still alive and making it. But not these Christians that we're talking about. They don't view themselves as sinners that God should wipe out. As a matter of fact, they even get upset with God if he does not make life extremely comfortable. Because, you know, that's what this is all about is you come here and then God will get you a job and you'll get you money and everything will be great. You know, that's a very Western idea of Christianity. A Western Christianity testimony goes something like this. Before I came to Christ, my life was in shambles. My marriage was on the rocks. I couldn't make ends meet and I couldn't even find the ends. But one day I prayed and said, Jesus, rescue me and come into my life. And he put my marriage and my home back together. And now I have friends and I got a promotion at work and everything's great. I'm a Christian. Halfway around the world, testimonies sound a little more like this. They sound a little more like the Apostle Paul's testimony. that say, before I came to Christ, my marriage was good. I had position in society. I was respected, and I had plenty of money. But then I became convicted of my sin. And I turned from sin, and I gave my life over to what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for. And when I received Jesus, everything fell apart. My friends left me because they didn't believe what I believe. I was castigated in society, and I was thrown out, and I lost it all. My marriage fell apart because my family had rejected this Christian faith and said that this was not the way. And now I'm lonely, but I know I'm not alone. And now I might not have money, but I got treasure laid up in heaven. And now life might be hard, but I'm looking at the eternal and not the temporal. And I won't give up, and I won't shut up, and I won't turn back because Jesus died for me. And I'm not living for now. I'm living for later because I'm a Christian.
if we really viewed ourselves for what we are, we would never again complain about any inconvenience because we would believe that we still have it better than we deserve. And we would be humbled and grateful that God does not completely take us out. We don't understand mercy because we think we deserve it. And you can't understand mercy if you think you deserve it. Because if we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. That's kind of the nature of mercy is that it's not deserved. And that's, remember, the withholding of deserved punishment. Compassion shown not to the sick, but to the offender, to the criminal. It is mercy. Because we don't deserve it. What we do deserve is for God to wipe us out. For having ignored him. For having rejected him. For having run against him. To do life our way. For our best. To do whatever we want to do. For whatever feels good at the moment. You want to have sex outside of, ma of marriage? Do it. It feels good. You want to smoke this because it makes you feel better because you'd rather lean on that instead of lean on God for anxiety? Great. Do it your way. You'd rather drink alcohol to drunkenness than drink the living word? Whatever. What we deserve is for God to say, oh, you faithless generation of vipers. But we think we'll just do both. We'll just mix it up. We'll go to church and hopefully, hopefully it'll be the Sunday that Pastor DJ is preaching one of those radical grace messages that just makes everything feel good. And then I'll say, yeah, I'm covered. I'm covered. Yeah, I'm, I'm covered. We'll get just enough of God to warm the heart without enough to change it. So that we can feel okay and still do whatever we want to do. There are a lot of people that think they're saved that are not. They came to God as victims with problems for him to fix it. Rather than approaching a thrice holy God as criminals... That know that we are guilty and in need of pardon from what we rightfully had coming to us. Rightfully. 
Do you know what kind of heart is able to receive salvation? The heart that knows that he should not save them. And humbly, broken, contrite, humbly receive the insurmountable gift that Jesus, the Son of God, was crushed. On that skull-shaped hill in our place. How could a person place faith? Somebody say faith. Just act like you could just grab your heart and say faith. How could a person place faith in forgiveness without believing they've done anything wrong? What is forgiveness if we are not guilty? What is mercy if we are not sinners? What is the free gift if we are already full? How can we place faith in redemption without believing we're lost? I hear people saying, I wonder why God hasn't blessed me yet the way that he's blessing them. Why didn't I get any money yet? Why didn't I get a new house yet? Why didn't I get the car yet? Why did they get the promotion? Why haven't I found somebody to spend my life with? Why are things going their way, but they're not going my way? And the only thing I'm over here wondering is why God hasn't killed me yet. Well, it's quiet in here, Pastor Vince. It's a different kind of Sunday. I'm not over here wondering why he hasn't blessed me. I'm over here wondering why he has. Amen. Wow. I'm saying, God, why? Why have you kept me like this? God, why have you clothed me like this? Because I look good. <laughs> I'm feeling it this morning. I haven't been able to button this shirt in a year and a half. I I'm... <laughs> I look good. It's like getting new clothes all over again. And you start losing a little something, you know. Don't put that stuff in the yard sale. Put it in the closet and call Jenny Craig, man. You'll have Christmas. I'm saying, God, you, God, you gave me a, a vehicle. I got three in the driveway. God, I, I pick which vehicle to drive. I go to my closet in the morning and I pick which pair of shoes to wear 
Do you know who decides which garment to put on? Kings. Kings decide which transportation they'll take for the day. Kings decide which pair of shoes to put on. Kings decide how to set the temperature in their house. You're talking about why has God not blessed you? Are you out of your mind? Why has he, what did you do that God should bless you with it? What have we done to earn the blessing of God? What have we done to deserve an eternal priceless gift? What have we done to deserve the blood of the only begotten son of God? I don't know why I've got a car. I don't know why I've got a roof over my head. I don't know why I have a beautiful family around me. I don't know why. And I definitely do not know why. And I wonder all the time, why do I get to stand here? This doesn't make any sense to me. I see people right now that I think, God, surely they should be holding the microphone and I should be sitting out there. Surely, God, you surely have something mixed up here. Because I know the stuff that goes through my head sometimes, and unfortunately, that makes it out of my mouth. Thank God for some special help that only a little bit of that comes out while I'm standing here. I know things that I've done in my life. I know my own failure. I know my own weakness. I say, God, what is it that you put this shield around, around me that they see something very different than what you and me know as him? I don't know why God would let me lead anything. I don't know why God would let me speak on his behalf. I don't know why God would fill me. I don't know. I don't understand why God would use me. It doesn't make sense because I know me. You don't know me, but I know me. I don't expect this. I am humbled by this. I do not deserve this. I am grateful for this. We did not deserve Calvary. God loved us so much in spite of our sin that Jesus decided to take our beating to take our crucifixion, our punishment, and our place. He decided to take our death. Jesus stopped what was coming to us. That is mercy. Can you give him a crazy 
hand clap for mercy. Not one of us should be here. Every one of us should be six foot under already. And not in heaven. None of us. No, not one. No, not one. That's mercy. If he had given us mercy and stopped there, he would have given us more than he should have. But he didn't stop there. He could have forgiven us and left us. I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost. He could have forgiven us and left us just like we were. But he didn't. He decided not only to stop the punishment that was coming to us, but he decided to transform who we are from the inside out. Isaiah 53 and 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And when you open up your Strong's Concordance and you read each of that's by the way, that's prophetic of the cross. That's the prophet Isaiah talking about everything Jesus would pay for on the cross. And when you read those, it says that he paid for our sicknesses and diseases. It says he paid for mental and emotional afflictions. Whoo, thank God. Did you know that? It says he paid for the punishment of our sin that we had coming to us from him. But didn't that last one, chastisement of our peace, do you know what that is? This was a special one. This was a bonus on the cross. This was a bonus. He paid for our sin and punishment from him. But the last one, he paid for any guilty feelings associated with sin. He not only paid for you to be forgiven, he paid that you wouldn't have to carry the guilt of what you did that you got forgiven of. That's good news. He could have forgiven us and left us, but he didn't. He decided not just to stop our punishment, but to change who we are. And that is grace. That is grace. Mercy held back what was coming to us. Mercy held back what we did deserve. Grace hands us what we did not deserve. Mercy holds back what we did deserve, and grace gifts us what we could not earn. Grace is a power. I'm telling you what grace is. Grace is power. It's the name given to power and strength. Grace is power that we do not have 
to accomplish what we could not do. Mercy holds back punishment that we did deserve. So we got forgiven. Okay, great. I'm forgiven, but I'm a scallywag. (laughs) Been a while. Been a minute. Been a minute. (laughs) So I'm forgiven, but I'm just an old sinner. That's what mercy would be by itself. But guess what? He did more at that cross because after I get saved, I'm not an old saved sinner. I'm a brand new creature in Christ Jesus and behold, all things are new. I'm a king and a priest, come on, and a peculiar nation and a holy people. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. I used to be a sinner, but something happened at the cross. I used to be a trespasser, but now I'm brand new. Blood washed, fire baptized, Holy Ghost filled, sanctified, citizen of heaven. I am a child of God. This was mercy, but that is grace. That's grace. Grace is a power that is gifted that we did not have to accomplish what we could not do. This power called grace. I bet a lot of people did not know that we hear the word grace, but I bet a lot of people didn't know that grace is the name of a power. Grace is power. Literally, it is is an ability. It's a divine ability. This power called grace is something that cannot be earned. That's not the way it comes. You know, we're programmed because we work for everything that we get. But God's stuff can't be worked for because there's not enough work to pay for it. God's stuff is so far beyond the spectrum of anything we could. There's not an amount of work or an amount of time or an amount of money to buy any of God's stuff. We talk about paintings being priceless. No, no, no. God's stuff is priceless. So anything you get from God cannot be earned, cannot be purchased. It has to be gifted This is why so many people that are working for it don't get it because God says it doesn't come that way. It only comes by faith. You don't get any of it because of what you did. This power cannot be earned. It cannot be paid for. This is the new covenant of grace. Old covenant worked by law. Old covenant. You know what a covenant is? Covenant is an agreement. It's just another word for agreement. And an agreement has two parts. An agreement says, if you will do this, I will do this. You come into covenant. The old covenant was between God and man. If you keep your part, God says, this is what I do. 
It was a vertical covenant like this between God and man. The problem is one of the parties couldn't keep their end of the bargain. So the writer of Hebrews says, God wasn't pleased with the old covenant because of the weakness of the flesh, so he created a better covenant and sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to do what we could not do to establish and ratify a new covenant. You know you're part of the new covenant. There are a lot of people think that when they mess up, they're not saved anymore. That's old covenant. That is a covenant between God and man. The new covenant, your salvation, the new covenant is not between God and man. The new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son, which became a perfect man and did what you couldn't do. I can't break the new covenant because I am neither party. I can't break the new covenant. It's not contingent on my sin. I'm only lost if Jesus sins. I'm neither part of the covenant. It's a covenant between God and God. Salvation is the gift of God, of grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. So this new covenant is a heavenly covenant inside of God. I can't be part of the covenant. I can only accept it by faith as a gift because I can't earn it or pay for it. Grace cannot be earned or paid for. The only way to get it, you ready for this? The only way to get grace is to A, know that you don't deserve it, and B, ask for it anyway. The prophet Isaiah said that this spiritual bread and this spiritual milk and this spiritual wine can only be purchased by a heart humble enough to receive something that you cannot pay for. The only way to obtain it is to be humble enough. You know anybody that you can't help them because they're too proud to take it? They won't take the help. And you're like, no, I want to do this. No, no, I can't. I can't take it. I can't take it. That person can't get saved. Wow. Now, there's another kind of person that thinks they're entitled and that you ought to give it to them. They ain't saved either. It has to be that I don't deserve it. You shouldn't give it to me. And yes, I will receive it. Grace. Mercy forgives us, but grace changes us. This is, amen, this is why the cheap grace stuff doesn't work. 
Because grace is the thing that produces change. If you attend the River Worship Center, let me say it this way. Mercy is the blood, and grace is the, oh, I said it wrong. Mercy is the wine, but grace is the oil. Remember? Mercy is the wine, the blood, but grace is the oil, the spirit. Webster's says it like this about grace. Unmerited divine assistance. Noah Webster knew what was up, by the way. He loved Jesus. That's for real. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Thank you, Noah Webster. I wonder if the schools have caught that yet and started pulling dictionaries out of their libraries. The Webster's Dictionary is full of biblical truth. Grace, unmerited divine assistance given to humans for regeneration or for sanctification. Are we getting the picture? Mercy and grace? Let me me break it down like this. Let me break it down in a way that parents will understand. Kids can understand this real easy, but when you grow up, you don't know anything anymore. So I'm going to tell you about grace and mercy in my own house. If you have to pull out of the driveway by nine, in order to be at the destination by 9.30, Moriah will start fixing her hair at 10.03. That's very hard. That's really, really, really hard. I am super punctual. It's a big deal to me. We had somebody come to the church one time that was, they're not here anymore, that was going to, that was going to join the praise team. And they were always late. And I, I sat them down and I said, you need to understand something about me. I said, punctuality is the most important thing to me. And he's listening. I said, do you understand? He said, he said, yeah, like you like to say your words just right. That's exactly what I was I said, not punctuation, punctuality. (laughs) He's not here anymore. I killed him that day. I killed him. Punctuality is so important to me. It, It means being on time, okay? 
being on time. Punctuation deals with commas and periods and sentence structure and grammar, okay? And so thank you, an exclamation, it's, it, yeah, exclamation points. All right. So Moriah, when this happens, it's really hard. It's really hard. Your insides are rich. And if you ask her, Moriah, how long is this going to take? You did not just help the cause of getting out any sooner. Because now... (laughs) Because now she dies in the floor. It's... It's a weird metamorphosis that takes place. She, she, and it's, it's slow. It's slow. Moriah, it is time. And now suddenly, not only does she not have performance, she does not even have will. You missed it. You had to go back to live stream. She has no will left. There's nothing inside of her. Now, the first thing that happens is that I don't kill her. That is mercy. (laughs) But then, in the heat of this, as we're going to the car, she says, and I need some money. (laughs) Because I have it, and she needs it. And I give it to her. And that is grace. grace. Mercy is to withhold what was rightfully coming to her. And grace is to give her what she did not earn so she can go further than she would have without me. Mercy and grace. When people talk about grace as a way to get by with something that they shouldn't do, they don't even know what it is that they're talking about. Grace is the name given to the strength that overcomes that we do not continue in the things that we have received mercy for having done. Grace is the name of being empowered to not keep doing it. When you are under grace, 
you have power to live different. It doesn't mean you never make mistakes, but you don't stay in them. Romans 6 and 14 says, sin will not have dominion over you because you're not under the law. You're under grace. If, amen. If you want to know, am I really living under grace? Now, I'm not talking about whether or not you're saved. Some people use that term under grace to mean saved. Be very careful. Churches will trick you with that. Under grace and being saved do not mean the same thing. There are people who are saved that are not partaking of the grace that's being offered. They are saved and defeated. They are saved in trying to live under law. I am saved and want to live under grace. In Galatians, where it talks about falling from grace, there's only one time in your Bible that says fallen from grace, and it has nothing to do with losing salvation. Fallen from grace, it's written to Christians about Christians who were trying to do the right thing, but they were leaning on the law instead of on Jesus. So it says they were not partaking of the grace. Yep. Boy, wouldn't that have helped about 30 years ago if somebody would have told us. So if you want to know, am I living under grace or am I trust, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in the finished work of Christ or am I trusting in my flesh and the law? Here's how you can know. Does sin have dominion over you? If you have something that you cannot beat, if you've got something that's in your life that's not supposed to be in your life and you're not able to whip it, you are trusting yourself, and you are trusting law. You are not under grace. Because according to what thus saith the Lord, when you are positioned under the flow of his grace, it will not have dominion over you. Grace breaks it. Grace destroys the hold and the power of addiction and sin and everything and everything. Sin will not have dominion over you because you're not under the law. You're under grace. Under the law, you couldn't find the power to change anything. You came to Jesus. He forgave you and also gave you power. The forgiveness is called mercy, but the power is called grace. Romans 5 and 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense would abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, sin was strong, but grace is stronger. Romans 8 and 3. What the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is is the law. The law gives strength to sin. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm almost done. Hang with me just a few more minutes. The law strengthened sin by putting your flesh in the driver's seat and telling you to do it. The law said, be good. Go be good. 
So the law put faith in your, your faith in you. The law put your flesh in the driver's seat. But grace tells your flesh, go sit in the back. Now, you can still hear the flesh just like you can hear your children from the back seat. But you wouldn't let them drive. That is. You can hear the flesh, but grace causes your brand new holy righteous self to rise up and say to your flesh, don't make me pull this car over and come back there. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I've got mercy for my failure and grace to change my way. I've got forgiveness, and I've also got power. Power. Somebody shout power. And this power is called grace. Somebody shout grace. This unearned, undeserved strength to change and to do things we couldn't do before. What is this grace? What is this power? How does it work? Get ready. Grace. The actual thing that it is, this grace, this power. Grace is literally the name that's been given to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Everybody talking about grace, grace, grace. You don't know what grace is. Grace is the working of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls his work Grace. Jesus took your punishment, mercy, and he gave you the Holy Spirit. Grace. Now, this grace is not just for overcoming sin. This working, this power that we didn't have to do what we could not do, it is not just for overcoming sin. Grace is given for everything in our life. Grace is given for our regular daily life, and grace is given for every single work that God calls us to perform. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8. And God is able to make all grace. And in the original, in the literal, in the Greek, it says graces. He's able to make all graces, all the different things that the Holy Spirit does. There is a grace for provision. There is a grace to preach. There is a grace to raise children. There is a grace to stay married. That's a big one. There is, come on somebody, loosen up a little bit. There is a grace to not go slap your neighbor. There is a grace to run a business. There is a, come on, there's a grace to hit up a ladies' ministry. There's a grace to play the keyboard. There's a grace for whatever you need to do. And God is able to make all these graces abound toward you so that you will always have all sufficiency in all things and so that you may abound to every good work. God said, I'll give you all these graces so you can do all the things. 
You'll be able to do all the work. You'll be able to do all the ministries. Any, listen, if you come to God and you say, well, God, I can't do that. He said, I gave you graces. I have a grace for that. Don't tell me you can't do that. I'm the one that supplies the you can. I'm the one that supplies the grace to accomplish what you could not do in your flesh. Well, God, I can't do that. And God's probably like, yeah, you couldn't save yourself either, could you? Well, God, I can't stand up there and talk. Yeah, and you couldn't die on a cross, but I did and you got it, didn't you? So I think you can stand up there and testify about me. I'll give you a grace. I'll give you a supernatural endowment to do what would be impossible for you to do without me. Remember when Paul said, I don't even know how to do what I do? Paul said, when I was with you, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. He said, and I couldn't even get my words right. He said, anything you heard me say, he said, was in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. God is able to make all graces abound to you. The Greek word there is charis. Charis literally means divine influence on the heart. It's where we get our word charismatic. You ever heard of a charismatic church? Most people would call our church a charismatic church. When Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, healings, miracles, faith, tongues, discernment, helps, governments, administrate. He talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word there in Greek is charismatic or about the charis. About the charis. Jeremy is attending Charis Bible College. Charis. It means this influence upon the heart of the Holy Spirit. It means endowment of spiritual gifts. He uses the word charismatic. This is why churches that operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit are called charismatic churches. The word charismatic means the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In short, anything we cannot do, but that the Holy Spirit helps us to do, is called grace. Is called grace. So that is the difference between grace and mercy. And we need them both. I need mercy for everything I've done wrong. And I need grace for all the right stuff I'm supposed to do, but would not be able to do. And this is why our text said in verse 16, Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Would you give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise? Stand with me this morning. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.